Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I'm really excited. We have Sally Christensen. She's the founder and CEO of Argent, which is a women's workwear company. It's been around for a bit now. I want to get it correctly, but 2017, is that right? We launched in 2016. 2016. Wow. So, you know, a few years ago that was new, but now I feel like we're, you know, you're you're a real company now. Or you've always yes. been a real company, but you know what I no, mean. No, 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 no. I agree. And I'm not offended by that comment at all. That's exactly right. COVID, COVID added a few mystery years, though. They just sort of like snuck in there. Yeah. And I want to talk about all that, just sort of the state of workwear over the years, specifically post-COVID, because that has been a whirlwind in terms of trends, in terms of uh, economic factors in terms of how people buy things. And I want to just talk about your plans because you've had some new things announced on the business model side uh, over the last few months. I know that you have some new stores. I believe you have some new wholesale accounts, if I'm not mistaken. I want to get into all of that. But Sally, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, we're busy. So I'm <laughs> excited to touch on all of the things that you just mentioned. That's great. So first, just give us a little bit about your background, who you are, because I know that you came into workwear from uh, a more untraditional, not necessarily from the apparel side, right? I'm the consumer of what we're building, for sure. <laughs> this was born from a personal pain point of mine. For some reason, and every, like, every woman will um, validate this, workwear for women has long been overlooked. It's been the afterthought of fashion, and we've all experienced it firsthand. So I started my career in finance and banking in Chicago. I went back and got my MBA with a focus on supply chain and then um, went and worked in tech at Cisco for a few years. Most recently, I was working in cloud, which was a new initiative for Cisco. So I did that for a little over a year and then read a study that showed that women are judged based on appearance and they quantified the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. And so I read that, and after experiencing the just the frustration of shopping for workwear and working across different industries with different dress codes, I just quit my job because I was like, I just see an opportunity to create a workwear authority um, and really redefine both the product and introduce things like functionality, things as simple as pockets, versatility, comfort, um, you know, and really just start with a consumer. But the thing that really excites me, which will come out as we talk about it, is on the brand side and the opportunity to really capture and speak to professional women and, and model that in a way that inspires our community and future creators and builders and, and innovators. So Argent was founded in 2016, quit my job in 2015. The rest is history. I usually ask, you know, what was the initial thesis or idea, but I actually want to slightly tweak it. Um, is Argent now in 2023 radically different from what your idea was in 2016, or is it generally the same in an evolution of what you thought it would be? It's an. It's generally the same. I would say that as with all companies, we present very differently, but our founding mission remains, which is to equip women to take their seat at the table. Um, the Pillars from a product perspective are the same, comfort, versatility, functionality, style, and quality. 
Um, the goal is the same, to create a one-stop shop for women who are going to work in any capacity. It can be work from home or fully suited, and to be a destination where you can confidently step in and know that you'll walk out with something you'll feel great in uh, and that is work appropriate. I think just the time factor is something that can't be underestimated. The fact that historically, for me, for example, I was having to run around places very last minute to try and piece something together that I always just felt meant in. And so I think that it's largely the same. What's interesting is that COVID actually accelerated consumer demand toward what we've been doing since day one. So um, women are really looking to streamline. And I think we've been doing that. And I think now we're in a place where Seven years is really the sweet spot in retail. We've made every mistake imaginable, uh, and we've <laughs> spent <laughs> and we've spent a long time like identifying our brand identity and um, rolling out consistency at every touch point. And you know, it feels like you're always juggling something when you're getting something like this off the ground. And at this point, I feel like it's quite tight, and we've had the luxury of time to really get it to a place where it's really more about scale. So what has the line changed or have you expanded the line or and what are some of the more emblematic mistakes that you've now corrected? Oh. <laughs> the line has evolved, I would say for the first time in the last 1 to 2 years we're fully delivering on what my original vision was for Argent from a product perspective. Those things just take time. I think the most Notable one is that we introduced denim uh, in partnership with A. Goldie last fall. We collaborated with them as denim experts that they are on creating custom work denim. So uh, we went at it through the lens of what are the pain points that our customers are still experiencing when it comes to denim being introduced to the dress code. A lot of it is around the fact that it's like being overwhelmed by having too many options and a lot of them are distressed or they have holes or the washes, they're not really sure which ones work appropriate. So we really went to A. Goldie with that in mind and created styles that are work appropriate across different washes, cleaned up all the distressing, et cetera, and made them work appropriate. Um, so I think, yeah, I think in the last year or so, we've introduced new categories that really articulate our goal of dressing women at work in all forms of work. We introduced uh, sweaters in last fall, denim last fall, and dresses are really a focal point right now. So we're kind of building on some key uh, products within the business. Mistakes. Uh, I don't even know where to start with mistakes. I mean, uh, <laughs> Uh, all I think the goal of every founder should be to fail fast, and it's such a cliche thing to say, but fail and fail fast and make sure that they're not fatal, right, and make them small failures toward uh, some sort of learning. One of ours, I think everything has worked out in the way that it was supposed to, but a huge wholesale partner approached us in 2018 wanting to grow their work offering. And we, I think, had a bit of hubris and we're like, no, we're building a direct business. Like, we're not interested, et cetera. We're going to build it on our own. We have such traction and momentum. I, I do think that that could have allowed us to break through in a, in a bigger way. But I also think that that ended up being a blessing because we didn't have to roll that back in 2020 and we didn't get burned in 2020. Um we were very slow in turning on performance marketing at a time where there were arbitrage opportunities. Uh, 
2018, like it was very compelling to like ramp spend. And I think all of these decisions were probably right. And in hindsight, it's easy to say that they were failures, but uh, they all allowed us to get to this point with the right offering. Like one of the challenges, you don't want to turn up performance marketing when you don't feel like the assets are in the place that they need to be. So like whether it's photography or brand identity or your messaging, like there's just so much that goes into it. And that's why it takes about seven years to get to a place where you've iterated with your customer and internally with your team to get it to where it is today for us. It's just not something that happens overnight. So, I mean, and then there are a million operational failures that I'm happy to get into or hiring failures, et cetera. But uh, (laughs) yeah. No, that makes sense. The performance marketing something is really interesting because I think I hear two different polls from founders who are either, you know, performance marketing was what got them to the where they need, needed to be, but then, you know, iOS 14, blah, 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 and other ones being like pretty much exactly like you, like we were too slow with it and then iOS 14. And so I, I, I wonder if there ever is a good answer and hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think it works out for every company, right? Like it, it whatever you're building, every founder has a different approach. And so it all serves the end goal. And for some ramping sooner, like that works out with like the overarching goal. And for us, it was about perfecting what we were doing before we got to that. So I think that I would say that we've made all the, all the decisions that we needed to, to now know what we know and, and have line of sight to scale that we do. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. I wanted to ask, cause you said something really interesting and, and uh, it surprised me. I didn't, I didn't expect this, but you pretty much said during COVID you 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 had the right type of selection or like mm-hmm. it, it was able, you were able to make it work. So can you talk about the demand you saw through COVID? Because there were so many different, they were more formal wear companies, but because work became so focused on the home. So what what exactly worked and how did you have to tweak anything or was it just you you had the right offering at the time? Oh yeah, no, no. To early 2020, we were crushing as most companies were. And March, mid-March happened and we went to zero dollar, I mean, even negative days where customers are like, hi, can I return everything I just bought? (laughs) I see no need to go into the office. So it really became about survival and hunkering down and uh, going lean and, and figuring out what our strategy was going to be. The thing that to this day, like we benefit from is the fact that we saw it sooner than anyone else. So I immediately negotiated out of four retail leases um, mid-March when everyone was sending those emails that were like, in two weeks, we look forward to seeing you again. We didn't do that. We were like, you know what? There's something here that's going to be longer term. And I don't think that people recognize that yet. So we went lean very quickly. Um, and I immediately recognized the fact that, okay, if we're stepping back from work, that it will rebound, it will return. Like there's no scenario where we aren't going back into offices at some point. And how do we set ourselves up for success in that moment? Or like, do we shudder? Which is also something that we talked about. I believe so much in what we're building and that women deserve Argent that I chose to survive and to keep our team energized, the lean team that we kept on, we focused on brand aligned initiatives. So in 2020, we launched a partnership with Supermajority centered around the election. We had a hot pink suit. We had marketing muscle that we knew we could bring to them. They're a nonprofit focused on women recognizing their collective power as a voting block because they make up the super majority or the majority of voters in the country. We, um, 
partnered with them and created a viral campaign around the election uh, and just dressed activists and celebrities, et cetera, and really plugged people into volunteering around the election. In less than 24 hours, we blew through our entire inventory of pink suits. Like, it was staggering for the time because everyone was working from home and everyone's somehow justifying buying this hot pink suit. So that was really encouraging and exciting and, like, one big moment that... uh kept us going. And then in 2021, we started to see some return and that happened slowly. And I would say not until spring of 2022 or fall of 2022 is when we nailed the product offering, but we spent all of COVID preparing for that. In no other world do you have a scenario where you're, you don't have the day-to-day pressure of like building the plane while you're flying the plane. And so I was able to work with a merchant, able to work with our creative director, bring on the right creative director, um, and really set us up for success. We now have the best team we've ever had, the best product offering we've ever had. Uh, everything just feels very tight, very focused, and uh, timely. And that, that, I would say, is like our number one. And was that, were you able to do that because you just had the right, okay runway in order to be able to sort of take a pause, know that you would probably take a loss, but then have, be able to build the next thing? Yeah, our investors certainly supported us through the, like, these years. Uh, We did have a loss in both 2020 and 2021, um, but a pretty small loss, all things considered. Uh, And now... I mean, in 2022, organically, without putting much into marketing, we had a really strong year. 2023, we've never seen numbers the way that we're seeing now. So I just think that as a founder, I always saw beyond COVID. And I don't think that that's the way people are conditioned. Like we were getting approached by journalists who were telling me that suiting was dead forever and what would we do? Or uh, I would get, I remember vividly an investor sent me an article from CNN that was like, workwear will never recover with a text, we should talk, you know? And so it's like, (laughs) cool, cool, cool. (laughs) But like, it's how obvious is it? It's a massive opportunity. It's a massive white space. People will absolutely be returning to work. How do we deliver to that consumer when she goes back? And it's all now happening. So I just think that the, I think it's more compelling now than ever. I wanted to talk about organic um, because you kind of hit on this and you talked about the super majority thing. You guys have a lot of, I guess maybe they're early adopters, maybe they're mid adopters who are very well-known politicians or, you know, people, people. So Hillary Clinton is one that comes to mind. uh, Huma Huma Abedin, right? Yep. Was that, group of of women uh, who were able to, with that specific campaign, able to get it to that moment? Or sort of, how do you approach that? Was that all done based on like earned media that they just liked your product? How do you approach that entire thing? Because that's a, a pretty a pretty strong base to have who's giving, you know, making posts in your suits. Yeah. So I would say from early days, it's been obvious that we are catering to an underserved market at all levels. I I had the, I mean, luck, I don't know what you want to call it, but I, 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 I wanted this, but as a founder, I always set these crazy aspirations and like maybe one lands, you know, and then that, whatever it is. So I wanted to dress Hillary Clinton. I felt like she was the model of like what we were building Argent for. And I ended up meeting her in her first huge post-election public event uh, ended up in a photo line 
and literally just held up in my jacket. So we have interior pockets on our blazers. It is such a simple innovation that men get and women have never gotten. And we all see the memes around pockets for women and her jaw dropped. Like she literally had a physical reaction to what we're building. Um, and from that day, I think the product coupled with what the company stands for, it really just checks every box for her. And I think that's the same for everyone that we dress. We, we've had such organic support from those individuals because they live their values and we are a reflection, I think, of, um, Gen, like we want gender equity and we want to give women the tools they need to succeed in their career. That's truly like the reason why we exist. And I think that matches the women that we're dressing from a product perspective. We are, we've innovated the product. Like for the first time, women are able to dress for work and feel great in what they're wearing. And it seems so simple, but we all derive confidence from what we're wearing and to step onto stage or to step in front of you know, an executive audience and to be able to get out of your head around what you're wearing and be able to focus on the underlying work and let the clothes work for you in a way that it is an extension of your personal brand, but to be able, be able to focus on the work, like that's such a luxury for women that have been ignored for so long in this category. So I think that we've built a rock star community of women. The ones that excite me the most are the ones that are doing work that you know, but you don't even know their names. And we've built an entire franchise around like editorial franchise around that and highlighting those women because we think that women deserve to be celebrated uh and as a result we've definitely had organic relationships form with women that are higher profile um and for politicians specifically i think that we're interesting because we are accessibly priced we do a lot of production in the u.s we are female founded we have a very diverse team across the board and we're intentionally building out content and tools to just uh, help women succeed. And I think that there's just this collective sort of community uptick that comes from that because we all want those things, you know? Got it. So the lesson here is if, you know, shoot your shot, you know, go up to Hillary Clinton and show the pockets in your suit and maybe she'll start wearing your product. She doesn't just wear it either. She has been unbelievably supportive. I mean, she'll go out of her way to talk about it in press. She is always intentional about wearing Argent when she knows she's going to get photographed. I mean, still to this day, she's one of our most vocal supporters and the number of customers that we have from word of mouth from the secretary is like, she's one of our biggest word of mouth supporters. It's crazy. Wow. Uh, can you talk about the editorial side of things? So has that always been a part of, of your program? How did you grow that? What is, how do you approach distribution? Is that just Instagram posts, blogs on the website? How are you thinking about all of that? We were slower with the editorial piece because I wanted us to be ready to start that conversation. Uh, we touched on it a little bit. We do, we dress such cool women, and I always knew there was like a storytelling opportunity there as well as a content opportunity around solving real problems for our community. And so we did not bring on an editorial director until late 2021, I mean, early 2022, really. And her entire focus is on enhancing the storytelling and on standing up new like content franchises, essentially. Um, and I'm so glad that we waited to do it right because I feel like it's really landing and it's very intentional, it's very thoughtful. And um, we have right now our Work Friends franchise, which is our marquee franchise. We photograph women for our community as part of our two photo shoot campaigns that we do. Um, 
And so we cast them as models and we lean into the storytelling aspect of that and we try and make it a diverse group. So uh, in an effort to inspire our community because they're all just rock stars and there are so many rock star women. Uh, we have office hours, which is our um, response to the fact that like women as they get higher up uh, on the ladder generally get more and more inbound requests for their time. So how do we scale their time? So that's really an effort to just get 30 minutes with the fully booked and feed that into our community. We have a number of styling franchises and we're just about to roll one out that I'm really excited about um, that I can't, I don't think I can talk about yet, but that's <laughs> going to be a fun one. Uh, but it's been, and the way we distribute it is uh both on our website and then through our catalog. Sometimes we'll we'll do some content in those and then obviously on social. How important is the catalog? I feel like some companies still do it. It sounds like you use that for, for these franchises. What is the role? Is it a sales engine? Is it just another visual marketing platform? How do you think about catalogs? A little bit, a little bit of everything. So I think that it depends on the purpose of the catalog. So that we've done brand catalogs, which are more about uh, enhancing the brand, giving the brand credibility and storytelling around some of the franchises I just spoke to. So I think reinforcing who we are and what we stand for. Those would have more editorial content, uh, and then there are performance-driven catalogs, which, in our experience, outperform digital. Like it, it's comparable really? to. It's comparable to like a Facebook Google spend is how I would see it. And yes, it's, it always outperforms. Catalogs crush for us. So Really? Mm. That's wild. What works with your catalogs? Is it just that you, you have such a core, you know, you have shoppers who know and love you guys? Is there, is there some tweaks that you've made? What, what, what exactly makes a performance catalogs such a, a monster success? Great for lead generation for us. Uh, it's especially successful. I mean, it all works together. The hardest part about building... A comp- like a retail company specifically, is that you have to get everything to work together and support, like everything sort of supports everything else. And so one thing that works with catalog is that it's a vehicle to drive store traffic. And then when you get store traffic, you know that 50% of people that walk in the door convert and they convert at a very high AOV. Or, you know, it's just... It, I don't, it's a combination of things. It's our photography working. It's the product working. It's, uh, it's lead generation. It's bringing existing customers back into the fold. It gives you legitimacy and credibility. As we expand wholesale, people might, you know, see the catalog and then see it in a Nordstrom or what have you. Like it's just a little bit of everything working together. Get the catalog. You get the Instagram ad. It, it all has to work together and it does. Got it. Got it. So let's, you mentioned stores. Let's talk about stores because you had stores before the pandemic. You said that you, you cut some leases as early into 2020 as you could. I know that you've just opened a few stores. Is that correct? We've opened Soho, New York. So we've reopened one uh, physical store in New York. I love stores. They've always been a part of our story. They are such a huge part of I think articulating what we're building and like really, really delivering a brand experience. Uh, we're we're so focused on the professional woman, and we understand who our customer is to a T. And so, getting to offer Argent in like a in physical form and have a gathering place and be able to bring people together or be able to bring people in individually is just really special. From a business perspective, they're immediately ROI positive every time we open a store. So it's not just about brand for us because I know a lot of companies that 
do stores and physical retail for the brand play, it's really compelling for our product because as you can imagine, it's much easier to consume in person versus online in terms of getting the fit right, getting the sizing right, understanding the quality. Uh, We have such confidence in our product. It's hard to really communicate that online as easily as it is in store. The second someone converts in store, they become a lifetime customer. Got it. And how, like, so is the the Soho store a f- store? Or do you, is it more of a showroom? How, like, how do you view that? It's a store and uh, retail is a huge part of our growth strategy. We expect to open two additional stores this year. Uh, in the next five years, we have a pretty robust and aggressive retail strategy. And what's the footprint of the ideal Argent store? Yeah, so it's focused on a time-constrained, high-powered woman who never really takes breaks. And even when she tries to take breaks, sometimes gets sucked back back into work. Uh, So in our stores, we try to keep them clean and to let the products be the hero uh, and to deliver on some... I don't know, like above and beyond aspects for our customers. So allowing a meeting, like Wi-Fi, chargers everywhere, um, spaces for private conference calls, meetings, what have you. We've had New York, like New York Times journalists take calls in the fitting rooms and previous pop-ups. So like we've learned so much through um, our pop-ups that like this woman really can't fully unplug but on the flip side, we are trying to fully spoil her if she is really able to like step out because this can be such a treat to just try on clothes and like, you know, bring a friend, et cetera. So it, it sort of delivers on both and it depends on what's needed in the moment. Um, yeah. What are the new geographies you're thinking of opening up in? Uh, regional expansion is our goal this year. Uh, we have a couple of great markets and you can probably guess what they are. And this, this neck of the woods. And, um, then we'll supplement with pop-up activation. So each month we're targeting some of our major cities across the U S to spend a week, just activating those in person. Um, conferences are a huge part of our marketing strategy. So just popping up again where we know that these women will be um, and plugging in to organizations that are values aligned that are focused on giving focused on giving women, you know, content or connection or network. Like those are really easy to plug into. Um, but this year it's about regional expansion. So when you say conferences, that's super interesting. So does that mean if there's like a women in business conference happening in Chicago, you're probably going to that same week open up a pop-up right near there? We'll try to be at the conference. So our goal would be to work with the conference to create, like carve out some space and do a physical activation at the conference and sell at the conference. And how does, how does, does that always perform? How, like, how, how does that work? Talk to me through that. Not always. Uh, so our, one of my favorite days in Argent's history was our launch day. We launched at the Watermark Women's Conference in San Jose. And it was the first time that we were receiving some product. It was this beautiful activation. Companies have started doing this more, but at the time we were popped up next to like Pfizer and Bank of America and Target. And we had this beautiful elevated experience. Um, 6,000 women that are all generally our target demographic. You've got great programming. You know that they're all there and they've carved out the time to be there. And so it's just a really great marketing play, but it's also fantastic for revenue. I mean, it's just 
we crushed. We crushed day one out of the gates. It was it was obvious that we had built something special, uh, and so we've been slightly inconsistent in terms of how we've engaged with conferences, mostly because of COVID the last couple of years. And now we're trying to be a bit more formulaic around it. They do not always perform, but I think that now we're pretty seasoned. And again, this is what, like, this is where having seven years under your belt really serves you well, because you know how to filter out the good and the from the bad. Um, but those will continue being a huge part of our, our strategy now as we reenter post-COVID. Got it. Got it. I wanted to switch gears and talk about wholesale before we run out of time, because I know that you, that's something you're now focusing on. So you're in Nordstrom, right? We launched Nordstrom September of last year. We're, we love it. It's been awesome. And I think that this is something that, uh, partially it's because there's a changed landscape and, uh, omnichannel is absolutely the future, but also, you have to recognize how much comes from wholesale partnerships if you time it right. And if there's like mutual, if it's a mutual fit, it's a win-win. And that's what it's been for us. They've been incredible to work with. It's been great for credibility. We have captured some of our best customers through Nordstrom. Um, we've done a lot of marketing with them. We did an event with them last year. We're uh, hoping to do an event with them again this year, if not multiple. Uh, it's just been really great for a multitude of reasons. We're in conversation with a couple of others now. Uh, we have not launched any other wholesale channels, but that is something that we're actively looking at. From a business perspective, I think, uh, you know, it's all about cash management and really figuring out how to smooth out like those inventory purchases and wholesale can Wholesale can help with that if you want to get smart around how you manage your cash and how you um, stand up some debt financing. It can really sort of smooth out your cash projections. What is your ideal revenue mix as it relates to wholesale? And you know, not necessarily this year, but maybe two years from now. Are you hoping it be fifty-fifty, or do you see it as just a small thing that has a huge outsized brand impact? More the latter. We're more focused on our direct channels and building out retail and supplementing with wholesale in a really strategic and thoughtful and edited way that enhances our brand. Can you talk about what you, as you're talking with these other potential wholesale partners, what is it that you're looking for that will really make it work? Or what, you know, is it about where they are regionally? Is it about, you know, I'm sure it's about the type of consumer they serve, but also what other parts? It's a combination of things. So I think it's about uh, their brand strength. It's about uh, the uh, regional expansion potentially. So if there are markets that are strong for us, but we're not able to get to them ourselves, or if there are markets that are not strong for us and they have a stronghold in and we feel like we can reach a new consumer through them, um, it's about the opportunity beyond the straight wholesale relationship and just selling product to them and what uh, opportunities exist to do either activations, events, uh, editorial content. It's really a myriad of, of decision-making. I feel like it's like there's a list of criteria that we're, we're definitely looking at. Got it. Makes sense. Well, we're just about running out of time, and I have a couple more questions. One is kind of a curveball that I really want to ask you. What are your thoughts on the rise of like the social media hype around workwear? Uh, specifically, like, have you seen like 
it's mostly men's. And so I want to get your your perspective from a women's side, but like dye workwear, that Twitter that like everybody talks about. Do you, is this, what, what do you think that this is a new thing? Has this always been the case? Is, is it time that we had a, a really big women's workwear Twitter account that was also quote unquote an authority? Yeah. It's a, so I would say that one of our, the last piece that we have to really uh, solve is social media. I'm such an old millennial and we've been so slow <laughs> to really like have, much of a presence there. Um, but uh, I think that work dressing is very much a trend right now. I think Gen Z has always been about power dressing and suiting is trending. So like there are a lot of, and everyone's going back to the office and people are really confused about what to wear and they're looking for authorities on exactly that. So yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for us there, and we've got some strategies to to support that. All right. I'm excited to hear more of that. And the last question is just, it's, you mentioned a lot of things, but what are the big things that you're focused on for this year? We talked about wholesale. We talked about new stores, pop-ups. What are you thinking about that are the big tent poles that you need to stake in the ground? Yeah, so right now, like candidly, we're really right-sizing. Like I, We've never seen demand like we're seeing. We're trying to staff the demand in a way that's healthy and bring on a team, the team at a pace that allows us to overcome, overcome all the forming, storming, norming, conforming, all of that. So, um, we're just trying to meet the moment full on and there's so much opportunity and we're trying to stay really focused on retail, wholesale, team growth, and then all the marketing to supplement it. Uh, so I think, team building, et cetera, and retail rollout and wholesale rollout are all top of mind. We have two really exciting initiatives. One this fall, we'll be launching a new uh, editorial franchise that I'm really, really excited about. Another we're uh, targeting next year, which really taps into our community. It's an activation that we're really excited about. Um, we're in conversation with a lot of potential partnerships, et cetera. But honestly, we're trying to stay really focused and tight just on the fact that like there are very obvious uh, core business building blocks that we could be putting into place. And like we need to stay focused on that. It's such a hard question to answer. I mean, there are one million things on our plate right now, but there's some there's some big ones I think that are obvious. And then the rest is just trying to like stay afloat. <laughs> that makes sense. It's a great answer. Well, Sally, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. This was great. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.